Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we're here with Todd Killian with I Buy Houses in Columbus, and we like to jump right into it, Todd. So could you just kick us off with one of your craziest real estate stories or transactions that you've ever faced? Well, probably the craziest thing I can think of is is an eviction. Um, I had I had a tenant in a property on a uh, lease with an option to buy. So basically, they were they had given me a down payment of eight thousand dollars to buy the property, and from day probably within the probably first or second month after even moving in, they started becoming late, and then it kept getting later and later in the month. Until, you know, it's like, well, look, you know, I, I've come to your house a couple of times, giving you a couple of days, you know, notice on the eviction process, starting the eviction process. And then finally they're, you know, they missed, they just missed the, basically a whole month. And I said, you know, this is, this is enough. You're behind. And they were arguing, you know, well, well look, we're, you know, we gave you the big down payment, you know, we want our money back, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I said, well, that's just not how it works. You know, you that's a non-refundable deposit, and we were fighting over that. And um, eventually, it did go to court. They were three months behind. I had to evict them. Uh, you know, I had to, I had some nicer stuff in the house. I'd really inherited with the house when I bought it. You know, nicer refrigerator and and stove and everything. They took all that stuff. Um, amazingly, they didn't trash the house. I'm still shocked about that. They, mm -hmm. you know. They could have, you know, that's the problem. You know, the tenant is in there. They have full access to everything in that property. They could trash it. And um, as bad as, as mad as they were at me, that's all they did. So I guess it wasn't too yeah. bad. I'm so glad that you dove into this right away because we lit, just recorded a episode with an attorney who's talking about how to structure these sort of agreements where you sell either equitable interest or you sell a down payment in terms to buyer. Like, can you describe for us, like the difficulty of that situation, the court process, the emotions after going through that, would you still sell to people on those terms, you know, again, or, or is it kind of ruined you to that sort of thing? Well, in that same property, I do have another buyer in there, uh, doing the same thing, exact same scenario. So, so yes, I would. Um, and of course, that one with COVID has got its own little problems. But for the most, they're, they're good tenants. They're they're up on their payments, but um, part of their deposit has fallen through. Like they were supposed to pay it in two parts, and then COVID hit, and they couldn't pay their second half. So that's that's a problem. But yeah, um, I do like that scenario because from a from a landlord standpoint, you are um, kind of putting them in charge of the property. And it takes a lot of things off of my plate as far as managing it, fixing minor issues with the property and things like that. I put that on their plate. So that's what I really like about it. Um, and then you've got somebody in there who they're, they're, you know, they're planning to buy the place. So they're going to take care of it as an owner. They're not, they're not a typical renter and they're, you know, don't care. You know, they feel like, oh, the landlord's getting all the money. You know, I don't give a crap about the house. I, you know. They, they're taking care of it as if it's their own. They update it. They, they keep, you know, they do the landscaping and, and, you know, they like to keep the place looking nice in general. 
So, so I, I really like that. Uh, I would do it. Yeah. I would continue to do it. That's awesome. How, how many, just out of curiosity, how many properties have you sold this way? Um, I, I've actually have one that actually went all the way through the process. Um, and they bought about a year in, um, the, the particular house we just talked about, uh, this is on the third tenant, um, with the same, you know, selling that way. Um, I have another house that is, um, I just renewed, we're just in the talks of renewing their option. They've been in the property for three years and they still want to buy. They just need more time to fix their credit. And, you know, so I'm asking for an additional deposit from them, raising their rent and, uh, raising the sales price. Interesting. How cool. Absolutely. So you mentioned you had a third tenant for one property. Yes. Um, so did you do the seller financing thing for all three of them? So you got the non-refundable deposit three times on the same property? That's correct. <laughs> yeah. So the first tenant we had in there, they gave $10,000 down, stayed two months and, and left. Didn't even tell me they left. They just were gone. Wow. And uh, so <laughs> I went in, did some updates to the house and then put another tenant in there. Um yeah, this time, yeah, $8,000, I think is, is what they gave me. And then, um, yeah, eventually got evicted. Now the third tenant's in there. Um, they've been in there for, yeah, a year and a half. They've probably been the longest tenant so far in that property. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, I keep getting non-refundable deposits from from the tenants who move in, yeah. So it sounds like you're structuring these in such a way where they're giving you a down payment, but it almost functions like an option to buy. Is that how it is? Or are they actually yeah. paying the principal down yeah, as they go? Option. No, it's an option to buy. So none of the rent goes towards the, um, the, the actual purchase price. That's fantastic. So 30 yeah. years later, you've collected a large down payment and a lot of rents. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about paying the option money back because it's option money. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So it, it it's been yeah it's been pretty good. Um, I have a a property I'm going to buy here soon. I, I just went and contract this week on a sub two deal, and the other three that I own that I've done that too have all been sub two. Actually, oh, uh, the fourth one that I said I sold it was a sub two deal as well. So um, you know even. You know, the one I'm going to buy here shortly is no money out of pocket. Just take over the mortgage and, you know, start paying the mortgage. Um, it's basically, yeah, basically free house. I was, I've been debating about whether to rent it or to do the option on that tenant as well. You know, I haven't decided yet. Okay. And then do you typically go the subject to strategy or you do, do you do other seller financing things and wrap it or just kind of give me an idea how that tends to work? Yeah, when I first got into real estate, you know, you know, yeah, I think the first thing that caught my eye was more of a burr strategy, but then um, I found, um, you know, I found out about the sub two and then putting a tenant into it on a lease option, and you know, immediately I was like, this is what I want to do. This is, you know, this is, you know, what sparked me to finally move kind of forward on it. So in the beginning. That's all I did. I was just like, if I can't take it over with, you know, little or no money out of pocket, then I didn't even want to buy the property. 
you know, I just basically said, I'm not your buyer. Um, you know, so I bought the first year I bought three properties that way. So, you know, it was, it was working out, but I think as the economy got better, housing equity increased, there was fewer and fewer people who were willing to do that. And to be honest with you, most, I think all three of those property, well, no, yeah, the two, two of the properties I bought the first year, the tenant had not been in there very long. The very first one I did, it was less than 18 months. They had bought the property and then they wanted to move and they knew that they were going to have to come out of pocket to sell the property. So it's going to cost them, literally cost them money to, to move. So they were looking for an alternative and this, you know, once I said, look, I'll just take over your mortgage and keep paying it stays in your name. They're like, okay, that works. Uh, and, you know, being my first deal, of course, I was like, oh, they said yes. <laughs> now what do I do? <laughs> like, you know, we, we got to, we got to figure it out, get it all done. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that is the, the property, that, you know, that's had three tenants. In. So just to dive in a little bit, what I've noticed in negotiating these deals, and I didn't come to the strategy of lease options and all of these types of strategies working in orchestra with each other till, you know, more recently when the market's been crazy hot, I put some of these deals together, some decent sized deals, like, you know, close to a million dollar deals this way. And so, but what I've noticed is like the amount of deals that I have to pitch to get it is pretty high. Not necessarily because we don't get a lot of sellers to agree. It's because the sellers talk to their attorneys and accountants. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, it's, it's just not as common that sellers and accountants are seeing this. And so we still get some of them through, but I'm just kind of curious, like how, how often do you run into sellers and accountants killing these type of structures? I think it's more, it, it's, I think it's more of the fear of what could happen. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lawyer is going to always um, warn people of what, what the thing is. It's not so much the accountant. I don't think I've ever had an accountant kill a deal most people don't have accountants mm -hmm. so uh mm -hmm. you know most most typical person you don't have an accountant unless you have a business you know i think at, at most if you if you don't like doing your taxes you might take it to you know hr block or something mm -hmm. and have them do it not real quick but for the most part you know, they're not taking it there and asking about those numbers um the you know it's more of i talk to you know i talk to my more than anything, it's even like I talked to my parents about mm -hmm. this and they're afraid that, you know, if you don't pay the mortgage, then I'm stuck. And then, you know, my response, number one is, well, okay, if we don't, if you, you most, oftentimes it's the person struggling to pay the mortgage anyways. So I'm like, okay, if I don't pay the mortgage, who's going to pay it? It's and a great question. that kind of changes their mind too. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, then, you know, then I talk over alternatives with them and then I give them some reassurances, tell, talk to them about the properties I already own and how I've done things. Um, I've offered to have them talk to other, um, my other um, sellers, for former homeowners who sold the property on that way. Um, um, I have a couple that are willing to do that. They're, they're really happy with how everything's gone. So, you know, and then um, on top of that, I also, um, something new we're going to implement, uh, I haven't done it yet, but with this new deal, um, is I will probably give them, uh, the paperwork. So then to, to hold an escrow if in the event that I default Love it. So that they could. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great strategy. Yeah. That's what's worked for us a little bit too, is like, Hey, we'll hold it in escrow. We'll even pre-fund a little bit 
of some payments. So, you know, like, and then we can essentially hold like a deed in lieu more or less if we yeah. can't perform so that they're never actually at risk. They can actually take the title back before we would default enough to where the prefund doesn't, doesn't kick in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the house, um, the one I'm, uh, we're just now in contract. I know that I'm going to spend some money on it right away and he knows it needs updated. So I'm like, look, yeah, he, for this guy, it doesn't matter. He's, he's very happy with the situation, but if he wasn't, I would say, you know, look, I'm going to put some money into this property. And if you, if you end up getting it back, it's going to be in better shape than it was today. So you're going to be in a better situation. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. So like, especially with the attorney thing, it's about getting them in touch with the right attorney sometimes. Because if you talk to one attorney, they'd be like, oh, subject to, that's terrible. Why would anybody ever do that? But if you talk to a more creative attorney, they'll know how to structure it and something like that. Um, so oftentimes, at least in my area, most sellers don't have an attorney in their pocket already. So it's like, especially do you need an attorney that can assist you with this? Or because I could provide you one and, you know, that person's going to know what he's talking about. So. Yeah. Um, cool. And I think if I were to have them talk to anyone, it would be the, 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 the attorney at the title company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you're a perfect example of this, Todd. I mean, you're essentially turning around and seller financing these properties. And so there, there are a lot of people like you and great attorneys that are doing this strategy all the time. You're just putting that person in the position that you're putting yourself into nonstop. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of talking to people and, and, and getting out there and, yeah. and trying to provide a service to somebody. Totally. Yeah, I love the way you, you phrase that too. Try to provide a service. Like the, right. the better you are at assisting the people that you're looking to buy from, um, you know, the better off your business will be long-term. So let's kind of go back to the beginning a little bit. Like what were your expectations of what real estate would be like? And what was reality versus the expectation? They're, they're, yeah. Um, needless to say, when I started, I thought it was going to be easy. I would, you know, the way it was explained to me is, oh, you know, 10 hours a week, you'll be able to, you know, pick up, a, you know, a deal or two each month. And, you know, there won't be much money out of pocket. You'll be able to buy these, these, these deals, these owner finance sub two deals. And, you know, before you know it, you'll be generating, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month. And, in uh, cash flow, and you can you you can leave your job, which yeah, I'm I'm still that's that's still the you know the idea <laughs> is we get to a place where I have enough cash flow to um to leave to leave a job, but um you know currently I still do have I am uh, still have a W two job and the ten hours a week has probably gotten a little closer to reality recently. Um, but if you figure those, you know, it's two hours in the after or the evenings, you know, four or five days a week, and then a couple hours on the weekend, that's where those hours. And then, you know, that, that really took up, that really takes up a lot of my free time, mm -hmm. uh, or what would be considered extra time away from, the, away from the job. And then, um, you know, that's what, that's what I was kind of thought it was going to be like when I first started. And I also thought it would happen within, a, yeah, within the year now. So mm -hmm. in reality, that was, that was late 2017. And, you know, here we are you know, 20, almost five years later. 
over four years later. And I'm finally getting to the point where I'm very close to leaving that leaving that job and being ready to, to uh, go full-time into real estate. That's awesome. Like, what are the feelings that you get when you think about leaving your W-2? Like, is it driving you? Is it motivating you? It is very motivating. I just feel like I'm, I've been done with that for a couple of years. I'm just like, I don't even want to be bothered. It's just, it, it, it's just not something, you know, I just, I realized a couple of years ago, I just don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Um, you know, it just happened to me, uh, right before we started taping about, um, I was on with my daily call with my virtual assistants and, um, you know, sure enough, I get hit up right in the middle of that call about something and I'm like, okay. Uh, let me get off this call and, and uh, wrap this up. I'll go answer, you know, go, go answer to my W2. Yeah. And, um, you know, just another, another time where I'm just like, well, I'm answering to somebody else. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the problems and things that come up in real estate are self-created. You know, I, I'm taking on other people's problems and finding solutions for them, or, you know, I'm messing something up in a transaction and coming up with, uh, you know, learning from it and you know, like, okay, I messed that up or I forgot to send something to title or something like that. These are all my created issues. They're not, I'm not having to deal with somebody else's issues that they created. Yeah. Yeah. Such an interesting thing. I mean, that's, that's why I left corporate world was just, you know, the amount of work I had to do every day because somebody else wouldn't find a solution or wouldn't even allow me to create the solution drove me out. Yeah. So I totally hear you on that. Yeah. Very similar situation for me. Absolutely. So when you just got started, it kind of sounds like you were sold a dream, right? Um, 10 hours a yeah. week and you can make as much money as possible. It sounds like you probably got involved with a guru of some kind. Um, can you talk about that experience a little bit and what you learned from it? and your big takeaways from it? Yeah, I think um, the, one of the biggest things I learned from it is there is there is something to be learned from a lot of the gurus, but you also don't wanna get involved with anyone who's not really doing a lot of the training themselves and, and at least putting out something directly for you to, to kind of uh, learn from every week. If they're not either doing some sort of call every week or doing some sort of um, training for you every week, then in reality, they're just, they've taken your money and, you know, and when they say, you know, here's our coursework, go through it. And then if you have any issues, send us an email or, <laughs> you know, reach out to one of our coaches or something like that. And you're like, well, no, your name's on this, you know, you're the one who should be providing all the training and, and be at the forefront of this. I don't want to talk, you know, it turns out that, you know, their, their coaches aren't as invested in two things and, um, they're, you know, in the, the more arm's length that that guru can get away from you, the easier his life is, and you're just putting money in their pocket. But nonetheless, I did learn how to do, you know, owner of finance, you know, sub two, transactions, lease options from, you know, that first, that first guy. Um, so there, there's something to be said there. I mean, did I get my money's worth out of it? Maybe, uh, you know, I still own some properties. They've gone up in value a lot. So there is something there, but 
the way the internet is now and the number of people putting out quality entire content on the internet uh, you know out on face uh, out on uh, youtube right now is is amazing back then you'd get snippets you they'd give you enough you know they give you the carrot to get in and then you know come to our 3-day course and then you know we'll sell you an additional course while you're there so um, I learned, like I said, I, I learned a lot, but maybe, maybe it wasn't uh, fulfilled as well as it sh as, as it really should have been. Yeah, because I mean, it still left a lot of blanks that you had to go fill in and wrestle with and struggle with. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, for in my particular case, you know, they kind of give you the overview of a lot of things, especially on the marketing side, and I think a lot of even their marketing was outdated. Um. So I tried a lot of them, you know, none of them really stuck, so to speak, as far as something that consistently gave me lead flow um, and, and provided me enough um, opportunities to close enough deals to get to that point where I could uh, have the cash flow needed to leave my day job. But um, it got me started and, you know, I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't probably started there. Unfortunately, you know, it came along with spending some other money that maybe I could have spent in a different manner, could have found a better way to generate leads or, um, you know, put towards marketing. Totally. Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, Many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one -on -one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go, and most importantly, how you want to get there. Where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us, and let's get you on a straight-line path to freedom. It makes a ton of sense. Um, you mentioned that there were some blanks before. How did you end up filling in the blanks? Um, where did you, what resources did you use to acquire the information necessary to fill in the gaps that were missing? Um, I spent a lot of time on YouTube University, without a doubt. Um, mm -hmm. It's very easy, you know. It's very nice to go out there and and find a lot of uh, a lot of things, you know, things that people are doing a different way or doing, in in you know what what I really I guess in hindsight was looking for was what sticks with me. What what is it something that makes sense? 
Um, and then I tried, I tried almost every type of marketing, um, there is. And, um, I, I wouldn't say that I spent, you know, I would usually spend maybe a, a couple months into one, one channel of marketing and then figure out whether I liked it or not. And then, you know, move on to something else. Cause like I said, it's nothing I, I really did was generating it until just this past year. Um, where I learned, you know, everyone that always, probably all along the time, the last thing I had to try was to work with some virtual assistants and get you know, doing cold calling. I knew I wasn't going to do the cold calling myself, so I would never, I would have to have somebody do it for me. So then I eventually started, um, I finally bought into doing, uh, getting the team, um, and by team, I mean two people, mm -hmm. uh, two, two cold callers, mm -hmm. um, uh, started and I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't had a really good training to that kind of showed me how to do it, how to work with the people every day and how to, um, you know, how to treat them and, you know, what needs to be done. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning at that. It's been almost a year. I think, uh, I think I started in August of last year, but, uh, we've been, you know, generating leads and we've got enough stuff in our pipeline now to where it's, you know, Almost every day we get a good warm, uh, warm to hot lead and we're working on enough deals to where we can almost cherry pick what we're working mm. on now and try and go to the ones that are the hottest and make sure, you know, we concentrate on those. Um, or if somebody just, you know, suddenly ghosts us, we can go, okay, no problem. Mm -hmm. Move on to the next one. Adios. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you said something very important at the beginning of your statement there. You said it took you a little bit of time to find out what works for me, um, which is such an important thing to identify. Um, what was the process like? I mean, you mentioned kind of what you went through. You went tr through different marketing strategies, but how did you know you found the right one for you? And how did you know the ones that you were working on were not the right ones for you? Looking back at it, um, I, I guess you know, everyone wants to be part of a team or at least I do, I wanted to be part of a team. Um, and maybe I didn't realize it in the beginning. Um, but when I was working on things individually, trying to generate leads coming in, in different manners. And, and when I say coming in, it's cause I wasn't doing necessarily outbound marketing. I was doing something that would generate leads coming inbound. Um, I, you know, I, I, um, the very first thing I tried, was the yellow letters. Mm -hmm. you ever uh, part of those, mm -hmm. um, that went to bandit signs. I tried postcards, uh, Facebook, um, website. So, you know, I tried all these different things that were inbound. And once I, once we started with, you know, uh, having virtual assistants, the two things happened. I think there's number one, I've become part of a team because now, you know, we're working together. Um, and number two, I realized they're relying on me to stay consistent. Their livelihood mm -hmm. is literally in my hands. They're, you know, it's not like I could just say, oh, I want to change to a different marketing strategy or I want to do something. If I mm -hmm. do that, that literally stops their paycheck. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's, it's quite important that I stay on top of things. And it gave me kind of an extra, extra part to be, to be accountable to somebody. 
Love it. So essentially amps up your production, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I call that the overhead monster. The overhead monsters always out to get to you. You got to, you got to make sure you stay ahead of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it took us a couple, I think it was over three months before we, we did our first deal. So luckily I knew what the costs were going to be. And I said, okay, I'm willing to spend this. And it, you know, it took us, it did, it really did take us three months to number one, I had to train them and realize what a good, a good lead looked like and how to talk to people and then get us consistently doing things. And then, you know, eventually getting me consistently working the leads that they brought in and put the whole thing together. It did take a while. And I think some people go down that road of with the VAs and think that, oh, they're going to start generating leads. They're going to be awesome. We're just going to start closing deals right away. And in reality, it's, it's not, it's just not that way. Number one, the, these VAs, you know, unless you hire somebody who's done this before, they don't even understand what a real estate transaction is like in the U.S. You know, they're, you know, IVAs are from the Philippines. And most people are using, you know, anyone from the Philippines, some people in, in Central and South America, and then there's Egypt and stuff in different areas. So the way they think of a real estate transaction is different than what it is here in the U.S. So you even have to teach them that, you know, what it is that they, they need to understand and uh, learn from uh, learn of what makes a, a good deal. So it did take a long time. It took a, it took a while. And then even those next couple of months were still slow. We went, I think, you know, we were hit and miss. And now we were, you know, now that we've been at it for a while, it's they're they're on board. They know what's going on. I've now promoted one of my VAs to a lead manager. She's handling and staying on top of the deals a lot more than I can. And then we backfilled another uh, VA. So, um, we have three on the team now. I'm looking at probably adding another one coming up for not only cold calling, but then I'll probably add a second one to help manage rentals and different things. So, you know, the overhead is going to grow, but, uh, you know, hopefully it's all now that we're, now we have a good foundation. I think it's, you know, it's a good time to grow and not, you know, I didn't go too fast. I think I, I did it. At, I did it, I guess at my pace at what I could handle. And then, um, you know, I needed to get in there and, and learn myself too. And it's, it's not something that came natural to me to, to really work with these sellers. So it took, that took time too. Yeah. I can totally resonate with what you're saying. Like, it seems very obvious to me that you went to learn from mentors and then you took what they taught and then you really made it work for you. Like in how you got the business, how you structured your team even elements of your personality. Like you said, you want to be part of a team. Like I can really resonate with that. And I definitely want to emphasize this because I think there are people that just straight take what a guru says and implement it 100%, which can be valuable from a learning perspective. But I think it is good to mention, like you can structure your business in a way that really works for you, for your personality, for your goals. I love the fact that you took your time. And do you think in our industry, there's like push that you have to have it yesterday, so on and so forth, which sometimes can create stress on the family can create stress on the finances. People might go too fast. They might make mistakes. They might end up broke, bankrupt when they can take it a little slower, have a smoother ride and end up in a great place as it, as it is. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that I took it slow because I wanted to, <laughs> I was trying to go faster, but, um, it, I didn't, 
I, I guess I, I just didn't set the right boundaries and, and expectations, um, maybe even within my family mm. that, you know, what it's going to take to get there. And, um, sometime last year, you know, I sat down with my wife and I said, look, you know, we're kind of at this point, either I go, you know, really go for it, or maybe I just back off and just be like, okay, I've got a couple properties. We'll just hold on to those. And, and maybe something comes down the road and I just won't pursue it. It'll just be more of a, I have to wait for something to come to me and I'll, I'll buy what I can or buy, you know, something from, you know, off market or something that makes sense. But, you know, so we, we, we kind of looked at what, what would it take, what time of day, you know, what, what is my schedule? When am I, uh, you know, if I say, look, it's my time to make, to make calls to sellers, you know, she, she's not going to be surprised that this is my time. Mm. And before that, I never set those boundaries. I never said, this is my schedule. This is when I'm doing this. So, you know, I would get those, you know, things. And I still get it once in a while. You're like, Hey, can you help with dinner? Can you do this? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm supposed to be making calls right now. I'm supposed to be, you know, you know, and sometimes I have to say, you know, my VAs are counting on me to get these deals. Their bonuses are structured that we close deals. That's where they're going to get, you know, it, you know, their bonus is more than a week's pay. It's almost two weeks of their pay, you know, uh, for my lead manager. So it's a big deal for her when she gets, you know, she gets a bonus. Um, it really changes you know, the bottom line on what's going on. So um, to just remind, remind her with a simple, like, I got to make calls. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it, it, I, you know, we've set that and, um, you know, hopefully going forward here soon, uh, you know, get the opportunity to leave my, um, leave my job and you know, we can, we can look at a new schedule. Yeah. And so talk about what, so as you set boundaries, how, how did that change your business? It really did change it a lot. And it changed a lot that I, um, I, I became, I guess, more, more serious, more, uh, we really kind of knew more about what was really happening, um, on a day-to-day -day ba basis in the house and in the family. Hmm. You know, I think that's, that's where those boundaries, um, that really helped. It really, it really did help. Um, and then I try to be, um, we actually, a couple of years ago, we bought this huge calendar and then put it by the, the door to the garage. That's so where we go in and out every day, you know, right there by the kitchen table. So we have, you know, all the things that are going on in our family and we put those important, uh, meetings and different things that are going on. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to be doing something that's not in the normal schedule, I try and put it on that calendar so that we know that, it, you know, it could be an interruption to the day. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great way of doing it. 100%. I live and die by my calendar, basically. Um, that's basically the only thing I do is whatever's on my calendar. I even schedule personal things. It's just like my calendar is my life. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty common thing. So, so Todd, tell me, what are you working on building currently? Um, how are you trying to scale currently or, or what is your business ambitions? What is your vision for the future? Um, yeah, I think everything's based off of what the vision is. And I wouldn't say I have an overly structured vision as much as it is. Let's see what I can convert that's in my pipeline and keep 
then what is it that I can wholesale and and make some sort of profit on? Let's see how many, you know, you know, the day-to-day things are more like what can we, what deals we have that we can monetize in some manner. The other part is really um, more of, um, you know, how many how many properties can I get that I can put into my port portfolio that will then you know continue to add to the cash flow um, each month. So um, you know, this year I've purchased three houses. Um, two of them are rentals, and I bought them with um, tenants in them. The third, the third house I bought, um, basically the, the owner had inherited the house. It's in a really rough area and, uh, there's a number of board, you know, a lot of boarded up houses in the area, but I got it at a number. I just felt like, look, this house is probably the best house on the street. Um, and it's vacant and I got it at a number that I felt like I could convert on. So I bought it with the full intent of just selling it to somebody else, um, not doing a normal wholesale. But I also felt like this is going to take longer than normal to buy this property or excuse me, to, to sell, to, to dispo this property so that I'm going to just buy it. Cause I, I could bought it for $10,000. Like I'll just buy this. And then when I sell it, I'll sell it. So it's already been about six, eight weeks. And I finally got, I did get a contract today on it. So we're, you know, looks like we'll be able to move that property, but I just, I didn't want to put pressure myself on that one because I felt like I'm going to need to put more time into that one. And it's at a price where I could just pay for it and, and, and we'll get it disposed when we, when we get to it. Um, I signed the paperwork today on an eight unit. Um, I signed the closing documents on an eight unit today um, that will cash flow around Eighteen hundred to two thousand dollars a month. So after you know, after after expenses, that's not you know that's not rehab uh, repairs and things like that. That's just straight uh, you know my my overhead, and then you know still leaves me almost two thousand dollars a month. Beautiful in uh, in overhead, uh, yeah, just cash. So that to me is a good foundation piece at which I can you know build build off of. You know, we have you know, I have um, I have a about $1,400 a month in cash flow. adding that to it's more than doubles it. And then I've got a couple of flips that, um, some light, some light flips that we're looking at, um, purchasing and, and try and get through just to kind of, you know, I felt like, felt like on those, they were close enough that I was willing to take them on and, and, and put them on the market. I can make, you know, 15 to 20,000 off of them. And it's not too bad, but these, uh, I'm not a deep flip guy. I'm not going to do the big go in and really rehab a property. I'm I'm willing to do the light rehabs, but so all those are you know all my deals that have come from RVAs. Um, you know, sometimes people ask me, "Are you buying other deals?" And I'm just like, "No, I have enough leads right now in my in my pipeline. <laughs> I I'm really not looking at outside deals. Um, you know, I'm like you know, one of the rentals we bought we bought with private money." I was able to find a private lender who funded the deal 100%, and then I'm doing the updates to it. Um, so that um, you know that one will get a renter in there in a month or probably three weeks or so. But 
I don't even think I mentioned that one. Yeah. So that was four deals. Yeah, you got, you got some I've already lost track of how many deals I've Love you got these collars. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'd like to do is let's turn, Todd, let's turn you into a guru for a second. Um, okay. And let's tell the story as you would tell it based on real. So instead of this, you can work one hour a week and be a millionaire in 10 days. Let's tell Todd's story. And if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about like the nature, say, of your W-2 and some of those things. So the way I'm understanding it from our conversation, you're working approximately 10 hours a week and you've been doing it for about four or five years. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And so at, at right. closing this deal, you're going to be at about $3,400 a month in cash flow, net cash flow to you. And you got about four mm-hmm. deals in the hopper, which will create some level of cash flow. So more or less, let's say those four deals translate into $1,600 of cash flow then you're going to be sitting at about $5,000 a month net income built in five years. So more or less $1,000 per month of net income per year working 10 hours a week. Like, does that sound fair? It does sound fair. And it sounds very sad once you put it that way. That's not Mm -hmm. what I set out to do. uh, Right. So yeah. um, Yeah. I would, I would say, don't don't do as I did. Well, here, here's um, here's maybe, where I'm taking yeah. this because I'm not sad by that at all. Like, could you have done more? Probably. But I mean, if you think about this, like, because what we're trying to do is inspire everyday people that want to change their lives. For most people, if they had a $5,000 income that was automated, more or less, that changes their lives entirely. Like, mm-hmm. like when you look at the average American income, average American income, I don't even think is $5,000 a month. And so like that- It's like 35K yeah, a year. What's that? 35K, 35K a year, a year right? So that's like less than $3,000 a month. And so you essentially working extremely part-time, we'll call it quarter-time, have built more than a most people live on in five years. Like for what you knowing what you could do, it could have been more. But for the everyday yes. person, if they did what you did, they could essentially retire themselves out in three to five years. Like I find that message to be highly inspiring. Yeah, I'm doing that in ten hours a week. Yeah, and I would say you know the first couple of years I didn't even spend the ten hours a week. I wasn't doing enough to to get there. Had I done more, yes, I probably could have been further ahead from where I am. So it eventually, I've been saying this a lot lately. I I, I learn by making mistakes. That's the best way I seem to learn. Um, so. I got to mess something up and then go figure out, you know, how I messed it up. And then I, I learned really well from it. So, um, over that time, over those first couple of years, I was learning, you know, kind of what didn't work and what didn't, you know, do or, you know, make mistakes and then, you know, learn from them. And eventually I got my act together and, and realized I have to set, set boundaries on the business and really, you know, make sure that my, my wife's bought in on mm-hmm. it. And, you know, a lot of that, you know, came with the frustration of my wife saying, you're never available, you're never available, you know, and um, even even working, you know, you know, that's the thing is 10 hours a week extra on top of your job. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of family time you're you're losing out on. So I think it's really hard on a lot of people to really put that in there and look, you know, say, look, you know, short of, short of Buckeye football, Ohio State football, I don't watch TV. You know, I don't watch, uh, you know, I don't watch a lot of things. I, 
I will sit down on a Friday night and sometimes watch something with my family or I'll, I'll uh, there's a couple of series that, um, you know, let, they, they like to watch. We, we try and do that together, but I try to limit it to as very little. I mean, a lot of people will spend a lot of time watching TV each, each day, each week. And I've tried to get away from that. And I'm using that time instead to, like you said, to build a business. Um, but yeah, it took a, it took a lot of time to get organized. And I think maybe you know, now that I'm, I'm getting there and I'm, I'm far from really, you know, completely organized. Um, it's just, I've had to, to struggle through it and make, make it, you know, figure out what I'm doing wrong. And, and then, then once you have done it wrong, you know, some enough times you start to figure out what's right. Totally. So we've given a five year picture of your actuals based on all the mistakes that you've made, all the ways you could have done it better. If you were to start over now, what would your net income look like five years from now, knowing what you know? Um, yeah, I think it would be it would be quite a bit different. Um, number one, I think I wouldn't have held out in the beginning um, for only doing um, sub two deals. There's probably a lot of transactions that first year that I didn't know that I could wholesale or even how to wholesale. In fact, I used to look at wholesaling is being something like, Oh, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm, mm -hmm. I just want to acquire properties. Right. Um, so really learning, I think number one, learning how to take every deal and monetize it and try and find a way to make money off of each deal would be something that would be advantageous. Um, I, I, I caution people with that though, because I think you should learn how to do one transaction first. And then start mm -hmm. adding on and, and, and making, you know, adding to your tool, tool belt. So um, I would, you know, I think most people find that wholesaling is probably the easiest way to, to get going. I might even say, look, buy a, buy a rental, find a way to buy a rental first, because now you understand what it goes, what's into it, what goes into it, everything. Then start marketing maybe, you know, for others, because I think a lot of people, I've talked to so many people who've never even owned a house who are, you know, who get, who get into real estate mm -hmm. investing and they don't even understand what the, the transaction looks like. You know, I, I bought, bought and sold three houses before I decided to get into real estate. So I had at least a good idea of what, it, what the whole process looks like. Um, so buy a rental if you can, if, you know, if you can find somewhere that you can house hack, do that. Something that is something that is more direct that keep, gets you involved and learns from, learns what it's really like along that, along that path, you will network with people that can help you down the road because number one, you'll find some people that maybe that can help you fix houses. You'll find some people, you know, a handyman or a good plumber or a good electrician that you're going to need down the road. And while you're also doing that, you can start meeting other investors in the community who you could eventually sell wholesale deals to. Um, I would say mm -hmm. that was probably my biggest barrier of entry into the wholesale side is having a good network of people who were in the business that I could sell things to. I used to think the other investors in my market were my competition. 
No. <laughs> no, no, no. Other investors no. in the market, they're, they're not only your friends who can influence you and tell you, show you how to do things, give you insight on how to do things, but they're also going to be your customers. They're going to be mm -hmm. the people who buy deals from you. They're going to be deal. You, they're going to be people you do deals with. You can JV with them. You can um, do do all kinds of stuff. Um, uh, or they'll know somebody who will buy your deal, or they'll know somebody who wants to sell a deal that works for you. It's it, networking to me is one of the things that I probably screwed up. I might have screwed up the most um, is not really understanding that. Um, knowing and working with other investors in my market is um would have been as advantageous as it is now incredible yeah such a good point absolutely your network is your net worth is something that you hear often and it is absolutely 100 percent true um, so todd if audience until they oh, go ahead been it, you know, I didn't understand it until I was in it, mm -hmm. right? I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I heard that, yeah. And I, I think I thought a lot of those people were talking more about the the people who would help me fund deals, mm -hmm. you know, private investors who, who have some money that they want to to invest. And, you know, maybe they, you know, I always thought it was that. I didn't realize how important it was that I know other people who might buy my deals. Fantastic. So, Todd, if the audience wants to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? Um, I think a lot of people use Instagram. I'm a little bit of a novice at it. I, I, um, I get messages there and I answer them. Um, so you can find me at, um, I think it's Todd underscore Columbus underscore home buyer or underscore home underscore buyer or something like that. You can shoot it to um, us. We'll put it in the show really, notes. Yeah. Kind of yeah, terrible. for sure. I think I, yeah, I think I sent it over to you. And then, uh, you know, if you can find me on Facebook too, um, I'm available, uh, that way as much as any way to just send me a message. I know, uh, I get all those, um, you know, when someone tries to send me a message, I try and figure out what it is they want to send to me. Cause more than, more than likely it is somebody who wants to work on a real estate deal. Occasionally that's somebody who, you know, maybe trying to market something to me, but it's almost, almost probably eight, mm -hmm. eight, nine times out of 10, it's actually another investor trying to reach out to me to do a deal. So I'm like, yeah, I want to answer. I, I respond to people on Facebook because I, I want to find out if there's a possibility that we're going to work together. Totally. Fantastic. Todd Killian, we want to sincerely thank you for coming on our show and giving us a glimpse into your life and business and everyone else out there chasing freedom. Freedom is acquired one action at a time. If you do nothing else, just write down one action that you got from today. Make sure to implement it in the next seven days and share it with somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 